Hello, thank you for joining us for this week's sermon podcast from the First United Methodist Church of Parable. If we haven't had the opportunity to meet yet, my name is Reverend Chase, again, one of the pastors here at Paragol First United Methodist Church, alongside Reverend Dane, and, and we are continuing our study into the gospel according, according to Mark. In your uh, bulletin, you will find that there's an Old Testament scripture, and I invite you to take that home and read uh, that scripture later for your own edification. But we're going to go right into the gospel according to Mark this morning. Chapter 7, starting with verse 1. Now when the Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around him, that's Jesus, they noticed some of his disciples were eating with defiled hands, that is, without washing them. For the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they thoroughly washed their hands, thus observing the tradition of the elders. And they do not eat anything from the market unless they wash it. And there are also many, many other traditions that they observe, the washing of cups and pots and bronze kettles. So the Pharisees and scribes asked Jesus, Why do your disciples not live according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Isaiah prophesied rightly about you hypocrites, as it is written, The people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrines. You abandon the commandment of God and hold to human tradition. Then he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and whoever speaks of evil of father and mother must surely die. But you say that if anyone tells a father or mother, whatever support you might have from me is Corban. That means it's now an offering to God. Then you no longer permit doing anything for a father or mother, thus making void the word of God through your tradition that you have handed on. And you do many things like this. Then he called to the crowd again and said to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going in can defile, but the things that come out are what defile. And when he had left the crowd and entered into the house and with his disciples, and his disciples asked him about the parable, and he said to them, Then do you also fail to understand? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile, since it enters not the heart, but the stomach, and goes out into the sewer? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, It is what comes out of a person that defiles. For it is from within, from the human heart, that evil intentions come, fornication, theft, murder, adultery, avarice, wickedness, deceit, licentiousness, envy, slander, pride, folly. All of these things come from within, and they defile a person. This is the word of God for we, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Holy God, as we continue to look at the gospel according to Mark, God, we ask that, yes, your Holy Spirit come and be with us. Move within our hearts. Enlighten us to what you would have us to hear today. Draw us closer to you. In Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.
I was getting ready for Wednesday night youth the other week, and we moved some things around. We have a couple of games set up in the corner, and as we were, as I was moving some different things, I noticed that uh, one of the games didn't look just right. It was a little bit wobbly, and so I had to take a step back and, and see what was going on, and as I took a moment, I stepped back from the item, and I looked at it, I noticed that there were four uh, holes in the center of a leg, and only one of them had a bolt in it. And so that meant that we needed three more bolts to fix this. Now, I will be very honest with you when it comes to being a, a handy person or a mechanic. I am YouTube certified and, and unapologetically so. I didn't have to YouTube this one, though. I figured out I just needed a bolt. And so what I did is I, I took the leg apart. I took one bolt with me, and I went to one of our local hardware stores to get it. Now, when you go to a store, you usually expect something to be on sale, right? Something along with the season. And we're entering into the fall season, so you might have maybe some Halloween things that are posted on display, and then maybe even a couple of Thanksgiving items that are on sale, give a little glimpse into the future. This was not the case when I went shopping for this bolt. This was about a month before, well, it was about three weeks ago, right? And it was still hot outside. It was still uh, a swimming weather, right? I got out of the car. I was still sweating with all the humidity. But as soon as I walked into this particular store, I walked from the heat into a winter wonderland. I did. And y'all, I wasn't ready. I was not ready at all. So many different things happened at once. My ADD went wild, right? At first, I thought, oh my goodness, look at all the lights. I had this childlike awe of all the sparklies going on. And then I was a little upset. It wasn't time for this yet, right? Like, we're, we're going too fast into the future. And then I had a little bit of pride because I didn't buy anything. I decided to be an adult and wait until it goes on clearance for the next year. But all this notion, motion going on at this particular moment, all in this little bit of time, just while walking through the door, it was a moment of chaos and confusion. And in that moment of chaos and confusion, I almost forgot the point of why I was there. I almost forgot the point of why I was there. Of course, stores aren't the only thing right now that are showing some Christmas things going on. Uh, we can think about uh, the media, especially streamlined media. We have several movies that are already out. Who here is a Christmas movie fanatic? Who here likes Christmas movies? A couple of the kids, okay, some adults too. All right, just by show of hands, who prefers Miracle on 34th Street? Okay, The Grinch Stole Christmas. Okay, Griswold Family. A couple. Die Hard. No? Okay, that one's, that's kind of iffy. Muppet Christmas Carol. How about this one? How about the world-famous Hallmark Christmas movies? Oh my goodness. Okay, I'm going to rewrite this a little bit. All right, I love, I love Hallmark Christmas movies. <laughs> uh, my aunt loves Hallmark Christmas movies. In fact, she has a Christmas room and she would play these Hallmark Christmas movies over and over and over again. And we would have this argument going back and forth. I would say, they're all the same. They're, they're all the same. You can look up here and see that they're all wearing the same outfit, green and red, right? 
In fact, when we watch these particular movies, these, the Hallmark Christmas movies, we notice that there are patterns within this movie, right? That somebody has moved or they're visiting some small town in the mountains somewhere, that it's probably going to snow at one point. They're probably in a rocky relationship that dissolves because they meet the new love of their life, right? Um, somebody's drinking cocoa, and um, there's a lot of plaid. I think I already said that, but there's just so much plaid. And there's always this aha moment in which they discover the spirit of Christmas is with them. There are patterns to watching this movie. Now, we're in the middle of spending quite a bit of time in Mark. And I hope you've been reading along, because Mark is very interesting. Because I would suggest, like the movies, that there are patterns to be found within the stories of Mark. There are patterns to be found within the stories of Mark. And so here's just a few of the patterns that we've seen so far and that we're going to see over the next couple of weeks as you continue to read in Mark. First and foremost, you're going to have Jesus. Jesus will be the center of the story in the gospel according to Mark. And then next you have these guys named Pharisees. Now, Pharisees was one particular group of religious leaders that are predominant here in Mark, right? They're not the only group, but they are very predominant here in Mark. And next you're going to have this group called the scribes. And the scribes could be Pharisees or belong to another uh, uh, group of leaders, but they had a unique job, and we're going to get to their job here in just a second. And then since chapter 2, another character that we always have, or characters, are the disciples. And finally, we always have a crowd. There's always a crowd. We have Jesus, the Pharisees, the scribes, the disciples, and there's always a crowd. And like any good story... There's always a tension. There's always a tension within the plot. And this tension really comes from the scribes in this particular story. See, the scribes, for about 200 years, their job was to not only study the, the, the law of ancient Israel, but to write laws on how to uphold the law of ancient Israel. So far, so good? By not a heads? Okay. And so their job was to study, interpret, write about, teach, and to create other laws so that the original laws were upheld. And this becomes the moment of tension a lot of the times, in fact, most of the times, during the plots of the stories between Jesus, the Pharisees, and the scribes within Mark. And then finally, there's usually an aha moment. And this aha moment comes from when Jesus is teaching either the, the disciples or the crowds by means of a parable, a parable, just a story, a story that should bring about an aha moment. And then for me, there's always a comic relief in Mark, because once this aha moment comes about, it's usually the disciples who come up to Jesus saying, Jesus, that story was great, but what did it mean? What did it mean? And we see a progression of Jesus's response, but kind of the same. At the beginning, he goes, did you not really understand what the story meant? So at the end of Mark, Jesus is going, why don't you get this yet? Why don't you get this yet? So as we look at our particular scripture this morning, as we examine it, it's almost as if we're observing the same stories that we've already heard Mark over and over and over. But yet, it's kind of like um, R.L. Stein. R.L. Stein said the best part of the book is the beginning, the middle, 
and then the twist. This one has a little bit of a twist to it. Because if we take a step back from this particular story, there seems to be something not right. There seems to be something that's missing because the story seems a little bit wobbly. So today, let's take a look at Mark chapter 7, verse 1. We can start at the beginning. When the Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around him, that's Jesus, they noticed some of his disciples. Here we already have our characters, right? Jesus, the Pharisees, scribes, and the disciples. And they noticed that some of the disciples were eating with defiled hands, that is, without washing them. And here's where the tension comes in in this particular story. It's not that they called somebody out for not washing their hands, right? I, I hope that we are brave enough, if you see somebody not wash their hands before they eat, that you say, hey, <laughs> you should wash your hands. But this is not exactly what this particular scripture is talking about. This is talking about a religious practice of washing hands. In fact, it goes into something so much more deeper than just washing the hands. It's washing the pots, washing the cups, making sure that there's a way that the cleanliness is done so that they could be holy in their practices. And in this moment of tension, the scribes and the Pharisees challenge Jesus. They challenge Jesus' authority. I love what Jesus does here. Like other places, Jesus actually kicks back twice. He said, I'm actually uh, going to challenge your challenge of my authority. He said, Isaiah says X, Y, and Z. Jesus begins to quote scripture from the Old Testament. Jesus is saying, I know the laws that you know. In fact, I know the laws that you have written about the laws that you know. So much so that I have the authority to tell you you're wrong. So Jesus asserts his authority in the first manner. And then Jesus, after asserting his authority with those who, who have spent their lives studying scripture, and Jesus said, I'm right there with you. Jesus turns and says, watch this. Hey, y'all, come here. I've got something to tell you. He calls the crowd, and the crowd comes to him. Of course, the crowd, another character to the story that we're familiar with. And Jesus teaches the crowd. And I love it. It's, it's the, shortest, the shortest sermon you'll ever, ever hear. Not today, but it goes, listen to me. All of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going in can defile, but it's the things that come out are which defile. Jesus is telling those who are in authority here is that I have authority because I understand what you understand. I know what you know about the law. I know the laws that you have written. And I also have the authority as a teacher because see, the crowd listens to me. Of course, this should have brought an aha moment. But typical of Mark's stories Jesus meets with the disciples later, and the disciples say, Hey, Jesus, that was a great story, but what did it mean? What did it mean? What did it mean? Of course, Jesus says, Then do you also fail to understand? Do you not see what's going on here? And he goes on to explain that whatever goes into a person cannot defile, since it enters not the heart, but it enters the stomach and goes to the sewer. Of course, here, Jesus is speaking to their understanding of the physical versus the spiritual nature of humankind at that moment. 
the heart being something not that, that pumps blood throughout the body, but the heart being connected with the spirit, with the soul as a person. Jesus says you can't eat anything that will go into your spirit. Jesus says, in fact, you can't eat a taco that will touch your soul. That, that hurt me a little bit because I thought about Carlos tacos and I thought that comes really close to touching my spirit. But in all seriousness, that's what he's saying, is that food enters and leaves the body, but your soul remains untouched by that. So food cannot defile it, but what comes out of the person is what defiles the heart. What comes out of the person is what defiles the soul. And then we get a list of some nasty things. The missing piece. I love that when we hear Jesus proclaim a parable in any of the Gospels, that Jesus always says what it means, right? We don't have to figure out what it means because Jesus always says what the parable means. And usually when Jesus gives a parable and explains what it means, at the end we've had this aha moment. We, we hear a word of grace. We hear a word of hope. We hear a word uh, of encouragement, of peace. But if we take a step back from this story... We're missing this component. Something's not just right. Something's a little bit wobbly about this story. Because here's how it closes. It is what comes out of a person that defiles. And then we have that list. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. The end. And then they move on to the next town when you continue reading. It's missing something. It's missing something. Where is the hope? Where is the grace? Where is the peace from this story? Mark is written to a specific group of people, particularly a community that is, that is saturated with those who are called Gentiles. Those who are not uh, a common or understand the practices of the Jewish faith. And Mark, in writing this story, was relating a real-life tension a real-life tension that those who were hearing the story for the first time were experiencing. They were asking themselves this question, how are we supposed to follow this Jew, this guy named Jesus, and his teachings? When we see his people all around working through all of these different laws just to uphold their holiness, where do we even begin to grow in our own faith? How do we start? So what Mark does here in chapter 7, in the first part, it does two things. One, he speaks to those who are not familiar with these ritual practices. And the lesson that he's telling them is this, is that you can have all the ritual practices that you adhere to, you can do them day in and day out, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if there's not a change in the heart. And the second lesson that this particular story is given is to those who do understand the practices of faith. And for them, the challenge is this question. Is it easier for you to follow tradition over having a change of heart? Is it easier for you to follow tradition over having a change of heart? Now, for us today, when we read this beginning of chapter 7, it might be like walking into that hardware store. 
There's a lot of components going on, right? So much going on. The Pharisees and scribes are worried about the law. The crowd gets a short, confusing sermon. The disciples don't get it. Jesus offers a translation for that. It doesn't end in a peace, in a word of peace or a word of hope. And when we read this, we read that those within the story, perhaps even us today, read in the story, find ourselves in the midst of all this confusion and all this chaos. But in that moment, we must not forget the, the thing that we're looking for. We must not forget the thing that we're looking for, something that holds all of this together. So, what is it? Among all the chaos, among all the confusion of this plot, of the characters, of the tension, for, for the readers of this text and for us here today, the one thing that remains consistent throughout this story is this. It's Jesus. Jesus, God, God's self, is present. God's God's self is present, establishing authority, calling those who are around to come near, to teach them. Jesus is naming what needs to be changed within the heart, within the soul. In this story, there is Jesus present among the chaos and confusion. So for the gospel according to Mark, Jesus is the only means by which stability can be found. Jesus is the only means by which stability can be found. As we continue to make our way through the gospel according to Mark, I hope you are reading it. You can read it in one setting. It's a great book to read. And I hope you take some of the ideas that you have heard today and look for those patterns and see what this gospel is doing. It'll challenge us. It'll be good for our hearts. It'll be good for our souls. But I also pray that today and in the days ahead that we'll, re we'll recall this particular story, especially in moments when we find ourselves experiencing chaos and confusion. And so many things are going on and, and we're trying to look for the point. I pray that we don't miss the point that God, God's self, is right here with us calling us, claiming us, teaching us, enlightening us on the things that need to change in the heart. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, sometimes we do find ourselves in the middle of confusion and chaos. Sometimes we know that there is something within us that needs your grace, that needs your love, that needs your transformative power. God, in those moments, help us to remember that you are always there. Just like the story, Mark, that your authority reigns. Just like the story, you call us to you. Just like the story, you are at work within our hearts, revealing what needs to be changed. And just like this story, you are always our stronghold. Thank you for your grace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about First United Methodist Church by going to our website at www.fumcparagold.org. May God bless you this week.